Do you want to know how to get your brand featured in mass media outlets to increase the trust and credibility in your brand? Mass media exposure elevates the perception of your brand, attracting customers, increasing sales, and outselling your competitors. So listen in because the Magnify You podcast has been made for you. I'm your host, Monica Rosenfeld, and I've been running my PR agency, Wordstorm PR, for 20 years. Over that time, we've worked with literally hundreds of brands and positioned our clients as the go-to media spokespeople for their industry. I'll be talking to journalists, talent agents, media professionals, and inspiring entrepreneurs about what it takes to get your message in the headlines. Welcome to episode three of the Magnify You podcast. I'm your host, Monica Rosenfeld, and I'm thrilled to say we've had a lot of listeners to the first couple of episodes, a lot of comments and great feedback. So that's fantastic that we're delivering what I set out to do, which is demystifying the media. Our next guest is Cara Waters, who's the small business editor at Fairfax Media. As part of this role, she oversees The Age, Sydney Morning Herald, Brisbane Times, Canberra Times and WA Today. Welcome, Cara Waters. Thank you very much for joining us on the Magnify You podcast. Thanks for having me, Monica. My pleasure. Really delighted to have you along because um, you've had a really fantastic career in media. And I must say, I read the Sydney Morning Herald every day um, and I love reading your small business stories. So on that, can you please describe what your role of small business editor at The Age and Sydney Morning Herald entails? So I think I have a really great job because um, I get to talk to very interesting people every day. Uh, So the small business area, I suppose, sort of entails, it's a pretty broad remit. It's companies ranging from a one-person operation up to huge startups employing hundreds of people. But it's sort of um, any company that's not really a listed company potentially falls within our sector. Okay, that's good for people to know. So anyone that's not listed um, can be considered as yes. if they have an interesting story. Absolutely. So that does does leave us with about 2 million uh, small businesses out there plus. So uh, it's a lot of uh, businesses. And yeah, so it's a, a case of trying to find the interesting stories amongst all of those, but there is plenty of them. Yeah, I can imagine. And can you tell me a bit about your role there? So what, what are you in charge of as the editor? What, what are you in charge of and what does your day look like? Sure. So as the editor, my role involves editing and writing and um, a bit of dealing um, with uh, advertising and sales teams as well. So we actually have, um, there's a morning editorial meeting that starts at about nine and so we generally send pitches in on Slack to business editor, which is Matthew Dunkley, so we can send them through at home or wherever we are. So so by about 8.30 or 9-ish, we'll pitch through what I'm planning on working on for the day. And so before that stage, I'll have generally read the newspapers, gone through my emails, looked at social media to sort of find out you know, what, what I should be focusing or what I want to look at for the day ahead. Okay. So by that nine o'clock meeting, you will have worked out the stories that you want to write for that day? Yes. Okay. Um, and that can change, obviously, if something happens and it's a very fluid 
um, sort of process in terms of if news is breaking or something pops up that's more interesting, but you will have set out what your plan is at that at that time of day. Yeah, yeah. And so how many stories would you write each day or each week? So people always ask me if there's, <laughs> uh, if there's a sort of quota of stories. There's not. It does depend on the day, but, you know, looking back over, I work four days a week, so I actually um, am not in on Wednesdays. And so I tend to, looking back over my week, write probably at least one story a day. But, you know, there are some days where I don't write a story because I'm working on something that's more longer term and there's other days where there's a lot happening and I write two stories or three stories. But, yeah, generally looking over my weeks, it's generally four to five stories a week and given I'm in four days a week, it probably does work out about one story a day. Okay, fantastic. And there are so many Australian businesses doing interesting things. Um, so how, how do you come up with your story ideas? Where do they come from? Yeah, it's a bit of a range of places. Um, I find the best, often the best story ideas come from talking to my friends or just acquaintances or um, perhaps people that I meet at conferences or small business people that I come across um, in terms of what they're interested in and what's affecting them at the time. Yeah, so often those those are really great for just finding out what the sort of things people are interested in. Um, then there is obviously emails. I get pitched a lot of stories each day by email and so that's a source of stories. Um, and there also is looking on social media. I'm in a few – I have Twitter feeds set up. Um, I'm in a few different business sort of groups on Facebook and I follow certain people on Instagram, etc. that all sort of helps helps me get stories. And, yeah, I guess it's always having your sort of – eyes open and uh, <laughs> listening in perhaps on, on people and finding out what's going on. So you said you get pitched to a lot. Is that by sort of PR agencies and business owners and their marketing teams out there or is, is it a sort of an even split? Yeah, so I'd say they're mainly from PR agencies but um, some small businesses just pitch me direct which I absolutely encourage. Um, all our email addresses are at the bottom of every story that we write so I suppose if, if you do have a story and you just need to look at the newspaper, look online at the journalist who's writing about that sort of area and, um, yeah, for myself and Emma, our contact details are very available and um, you'll see our email address there and can just send it through. Yeah, it's so accessible. Um, and so on average, how many pitches would you get a day? So I would get hundreds, hundreds of emails a day. Okay. And yeah. how on earth do you sift through them all to see where the gold is and, and where the chaff is? Well, I guess it's a very brief, quick look at the emails. I do read all my emails and I would definitely encourage people to pitch me by email rather than calling me um, mm -hmm. because if I received hundreds of phone calls a day, I just wouldn't get any work done. And it is a bit of a balance for us in terms of, I guess, our, our job is not reading emails. Our job is actually um, writing stories so and finding stories. So 
we sort of have to remind ourselves of that sometimes when our inbox is sort of spiralling out of control. So, yeah, I, unfortunately, it may be rude, but it's physically impossible to – I don't respond to all the emails and say, no, sorry, etc. It's I respond in the positive. So um, I don't get in touch to say it's a no, but I do get in touch if it's something of interest. Yes. And what, what gets your attention? Obviously, that subject line is – probably one of the most important things to get your attention because that's the first thing you would read. Um, what What is it about a successful pitch that gets your attention? Well, it's hard to say, I suppose, because it has to be a good story. So what you're looking for is something that's a bit different or hasn't happened before or you think is sort of on trend that's or something that's happening to other businesses. It's some, is it someone that's sharing something that that I think would really would interest our readers. And I guess there's quite a difference between like almost 98% of the emails I would see in my inbox don't fit into those criteria. And that's quite interesting. I mean, sometimes what some public relation firms or perhaps what their clients think is, is news is not actually such as, you know, oh, we've appointed a new a new marketing manager. Uh, yeah. Well, yeah. It's not a story, but people seem to think it is. And I guess that that's frustrating. So, yeah, it's about really thinking what 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 is a trending topic, what makes news, and then presenting it in that light so straight away in the subject title and in in the email. Um, yeah. And then do you once you're interested in a particular pitch, you I guess open the press release and read it to get a bit more information about what it's the story's all about? I will, but I'm a fan of people just putting the text in the email. <laughs> Saves me time in opening the attachment. Um, and yeah, I guess the key thing is to have that the email sort of sets out the, sto- the story idea, a bit of background for us about the business and importantly, um, contact details and including a phone number, ideally for the business owner. So I will. We will often get pictures, and it's from a PR firm, and so they'll only give their contact details, and then they'll take potentially a long time to get back to us. And um, we were actually um, <laughs> laughing um, with a friend, a friend who's a journalist, the uh, the other day, and there was for some reason I also got this pitch, which shows how a lot of my inbox is irrelevant. But it was about um, apparently it was Australian Barramundi Day. There was a pitch from Australian Barramundi Society or some sort of group like that about the day. And so that's their one day of the year. And (laughs) there was no phone number on the pitch. And so this other journalist is a radio producer and she was actually interested in the story. And so she emailed the person and they got back to her sort of after her show was over. Oh, no. You know, that was, I guess you think that's their one day of the year that they want to publicise and they, well, first of all, they're sending emails about fish to a lot of journalists like me who <laughs> not really our area. And then secondly, they sort of missed a core detail, which would be being contactable. Yeah, it's your one day. It's Barramundi Day, people. Get on I know. <laughs> the poor Barramundis. That used to happen to me a lot when I worked at a current affair. We'd get all these pictures and... Um, 
occasionally, yeah, would want to do the story and then there was no number. So it's rule number one, put your contact details and answer your phone <laughs> if, if a journal calls. So that is very hypocritical of me, I admit. Please don't call me, but I want to be able to call you. <laughs> but that's, that's how it works. I think that's fair <laughs> enough. And what are the hot topics right now in business? What's sort of top of everyone's mind that you're sort of looking to report on? For, for small businesses, I think funding is always an issue. Um, we try and look at sort of hard news stories in terms of what's happening in politics and what the government is doing and how that's impacting small businesses as well as looking at small profile sort of pieces and is there a trend in a certain business, are there a few businesses operating in a certain area that we, they're doing something interesting or there seems to be things happening in that area. So it's a bit of a mix of those things. Um, and if you were to do a profile on a business related to something going on in the world, would you want them to to be able to disclose their turnover? Yes, that is uh, non-negotiable for us because okay. we're in the business section. So I guess sometimes people are sort of, um, because we do write profiles or whatever, sort of confuse us a little bit with more a lifestyle section. But the thing is to, to make it a business story, we need to put financial details in there. So with private, ideally, we'd put how profitable the company is. But um, as I said, most of the companies we write about are private companies and they don't want to disclose that. But they should be able to disclose, at least in broad figures, what their turnover is. And if it's a startup and they don't, you know, they don't have the runs on the board yet, then we want to know how much has been invested in them. Yep, yep, yep. So it's either the turnover or investment that's something to do with the numbers. Yes, that's crucial for us. And would you consider writing about a business that's, say, less than two years old? I mean, I guess that is could be a startup if they haven't got investment? Yeah, absolutely, if it's an interesting story. Okay, so it's not like they have to be well-established and they can be no, brand no. new as long as the story is a good one. And yeah, absolutely. As long as the then I want the, you know, I want the owner of the business to say, look, I started this with... $10,000 in savings or I started it with, you know, it doesn't matter how much money or not they started with, but just that they're willing to be open about it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And getting back to the pitching, so if you can summarise, you know, what are the three key things that people should do to ensure a pitch gets cut through and has a chance of ending up in a story? Uh, I think just setting out what what they think the story is and the background about them and contact details is key. And you can just do all that in a simple email. It doesn't need to have special attachments or anything fancy. Great. And how important is a good photo to accompany the story? Uh, it helps. I mean, we have, we're lucky we have very talented photographers here at The Age and Sydney Morning Herald. Our issue is um, sometimes if businesses are not based in Sydney or Melbourne, it can be harder to get to regional areas or, for example, if a business is in Western Australia or Adelaide, it can be quite difficult. So if a business is regional or not in Sydney or Melbourne, it's more important for them to have their own photos and I guess if you do have photos definitely that's a handy thing to attach one to um, 
you know, alert us to to what the potential photo potential for the story looks like. And I do know from working at other publications that they don't have aren't as lucky as us with photographers. So a photo will be essential for them. So I definitely would recommend as a general media strategy, businesses put some money into getting some photos taken. It doesn't have to be that expensive. It just needs to be someone with a high quality camera that can take high resolution photos. But yeah, we will we will send or commission our photographers to go out if it's a Sydney or a Melbourne business. And what about video? It, should people also send through sort of video footage um, to help yeah, dress up yeah, the story? Yeah, that can also help. Again, absolutely not essential, but you know, if people have it, great. And then tell me a bit about exclusives. What's involved in someone offering you an exclusive? When does it work? When do you want it as an exclusive? And just um, if you can just explain to the listeners out there what all of that involves. Yeah, so we love exclusives and all journalists do because hopefully you're then getting to uh, tell your readers about something that nobody else is. But it is quite a fraught area and there does seem to be quite a bit of confusion as to what constitutes an exclusive or not. And so I would regularly, it seems, get emails about exclusives that are not claiming to be exclusives that are not actually exclusives, which is quite frustrating and I would say bad practice on behalf of the public relation firms involved because it is usually them. So yesterday, for example, I got an email headed exclusive and it actually was interesting and uh, Emma had been sent the same email, which does suggest even though we work for the same publication and section that it is not exclusive if it's going to two of us. And so we then double-checked with the um, public relations firm involved and she said that she had sent it to numerous journalists at the Sydney Morning Herald and The Age, but only to our publications. So to her, that was exclusive. But to us, that's not exclusive because we're big organisations and someone if someone else within the organisation is writing the story the same story that's quite confusing yeah and then you you get two areas writing the same story <laughs> yes so there's a, there seems to be a bit of confusion there about what the exclusive was so i think um an exclusive can be a really good way to we will definitely give a story more prominence and be more keen to cover it if it is an exclusive and it will generally get a better run but I guess businesses and public relations firms need to weigh that up because you will really annoy journalists if they say something is exclusive and it's not so if you don't if it's not an exclusive that's fine but just need to be completely transparent about that and you know you Companies can do that as well. They can say, look, this has been given to, you know, the Australian, the Financial Review and the Age Sydney Morning Herald and you're all, you can do the interview. It's all embargoed until X time on X date and, you know, that's the agreement to run it then and people are quite happy with that. You know, it may not get the same prominence that it would if it was an exclusive, but everyone knows where they stand. Yeah. And so from your point of view, exclusive means that, you know, you in the small business section of the Sydney Morning Herald and The Age run the story first. Yes. And then once you've run it, other media can can do what they want with it. Absolutely. So generally it will be, and generally we'll sort of agree with who we're talking to. We'll say, you know, we are going to publish this on this day and you know, as soon as it goes to midnight or whatever, feel free 
to send that out more broadly. But again, I would then suggest to um, to the public relations firm or business to then when they are pitching it more broadly, you know, don't try and pretend that it's an exclusive story because <laughs> that's we that happens a bit as as well. And it's like we do actually read you know the other papers and our competitors and it's just that's a bit frustrating to have to go and check on that yeah absolutely okay and um, a lot of businesses out there have events you know they have events for the reason of attracting media and other reasons and they have events to launch their businesses what is your take on events how effective are they how many do you go to and what 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 are your thought about businesses holding events in order to get media attention? Yeah, I think events can be a good way to get media attention as long as there's something, you know, there's some substance to them, there's something actually happening. So we do try to go to events and get out of the office. So I'm going to an event today over lunch, but I, I guess we're quite time poor. So I don't really go to an event that I don't think will result in a story. Mm-hmm. So what what event are you going to today? So I'm going to a lunch with a business that I know I've already been commissioned by a national editor to write a story about for this weekend. So, you know, they had invited me to the event, but it fits perfectly with what we're planning to do. But say um, I've on Thursday, Emma and I are both attending um, Credit Suisse is, has a technology conference on and there'll be various businesses at that. Um, we're both going to – I'll go for half of the day and Emma will go for the other half of the day. But, you know, we've looked at the program and thought, you know, this is – there are potential stories in here. So it is pretty rare to go to something where without – you know, without thinking that there would be a, a story from it. So, yeah, I think events can be valuable, but, yeah, we are time poor. And personally, because I have young kids, I do find it harder to get to events in the evening. So that's more difficult for me. So I do go to them, but it has to be a pretty good story <laughs> for me to hire a babysitter. <laughs> and are there any days that events are better than other, that you'd be able to get out of the office more likely than on other days? Or Yeah, it just depends. I mean, sometimes there's breakfast things, sometimes there's lunch things, sometimes there's a conference on in the morning or the afternoon and it sort of depends on how the day is. But definitely advance notice is good. It's good to even know sort of a week out because we do plan, you know, a week ahead in sort of terms of our scheduling, etc. So I do sometimes get or quite regularly really get emails of saying, oh, this is happening tomorrow and that can be a scramble. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. How do you get the best out of the people you interview for a story and what advice do you have for people who are being interviewed by people like yourself to give the best interview possible? To give the best interview possible, I would say um, just be natural and be yourself the most frustrating thing is when someone sort of speaks as if they're reading from their press release because they're really worried about how they're going to come across. For us, it's really great if you can just use your, as if you were chatting to a friend and telling a story about what you're doing and answering the questions. And yeah, I would say try to be as colourful and 
as colloquial and interesting as you possibly can be because that makes it a more lively story for us. And, you know, I guess don't be intimidated by the process. If you're worried about getting the numbers right or things like that, they're always, you can sort of say, oh, I'm not sure about about that. Uh, come back to it and we'll check it after the interview or, you know, there's always facts like that we can come back and check. But often the interview is just more to get some good quotes and a sense of the sort of person and personality that you are for the story. Great. And on that, do you do you need to fact check sort of all the stories you write what, when you get the info from PR people and marketing people? Yes. Yeah. So unfortunately, we don't have a fact fact checking team like the New Yorker or something, but we do check the facts in our stories. But at the same time, there are limitations because we are writing generally about private companies. So you have to. Um, you have to rely on people to be truthful with you, which is sometimes generally people are, but sometimes not always the case. So that can, can be a frustration. But yeah, I've definitely um, have been burned before by even by getting information from a public relations company saying X and Y and a story was published and then other people involved in the business sort of coming and saying, well, that's not actually correct, which um, is very frustrating and I'm not entirely sure how that happens. Mm, Okay. Um, And what changes and trends have you noticed in Australian small businesses over the many years you've been working in this area? When you make me feel old. <laughs> um, I think we're seeing definitely, I remember when I was at school, there wasn't, I don't know, people didn't talk about going to start their own business, where I think we've seen a real rise in entrepreneurship and that's much more accepted pathway now. So I feel that Australians are very entrepreneurial and a lot of people are starting their own business or startup and or they're perhaps they are perhaps working in a more working for someone else but they've got their own sort of side project going at the time and that's why it's a really interesting area to write about because I think there's a lot happening in the space and it's an area that a lot of people are interested in. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. There are so many entrepreneurs coming out doing these amazing things and it really is changing the way we live and work as that industry just continues to blossom. Yeah, it's very inspiring. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, your your job must be very inspiring talking to people doing amazing things, living their dreams and passions and yeah, it, I can imagine it must be very um interesting and inspiring. Yes, sometimes it makes you definitely feel like an underachiever. (laughs) (laughs) Not at all. Well, thank you so much, Cara. You have been really, really insightful um, to all the listeners out there, you know, talking to them about the ins and outs of your day and and what you do and, you know, just what makes a good story. It's been really fantastic talking to you. So thank you very, very much. Thanks for your time, Monica. That was some great information from Cara Waters, especially what she said there about pitching exclusives, which so many people have no idea how to approach. So brilliant information there. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. Head over to the Monica Rosenfeld Magnify You Facebook page and leave your comments and feedback in the discussion thread. Always really keen to hear what your thoughts are and, and how you've enjoyed the episode. And stay tuned for the next episode. Thank you for joining Monica Rosenfeld on the Magnify You podcast. 
If you liked the episode, rate and review the show on whatever app you listen to the show on. You can listen to Magnify You on all podcast apps, including Apple and Google. Spotify and the TuneIn Radio app are other great ways to listen. If you are looking for a marketing speaker for your next event or PR for your business, contact Monica Rosenfeld at monica at wordstormpr.com.au. 